0: thank you Luke it's nice to see Jamie and Jennifer and Jocelyn and the little fellow there is it uh, Jeremy nice to see you once again trust that uh, the little ones will get something out of this message there's a lot of names in it but I trust that they'll remember some of them Anyways, well, good morning and welcome to our Family Bible Hour once again. This week we again resume our studies on the book of Exodus. And our main text for the sermon will be chapter 6 verses 1 to 30. I would like to thank Luke once again for reading this chapter for us in its entirety, in its entirety. As you all know, Luke has been faithfully Partnering with me by reading these chapters before each message for the past two or three years now. And the intent of that has been twofold. One, to make sure we are made familiar with the general content of the text, and secondly, that we have a bit of a break between text and sermon. That way, it won't seem that I've been up here. As long, And there is less chance of my putting you all to sleep, though I do still catch some of you nodding away regardless. So thank you once again, uh, Luke, for bearing with me for so long. But as always, before we begin this message, let's turn to the Lord in prayer first. Father, we are so thankful to be here once again this morning. To have remembered our Savior and what He has accomplished for each one of us on the cross of Calvary. And this morning, Lord, as we open Thy Word, we pray that the Spirit of God will be pleased to illuminate our understanding as to the text before us this morning, that it might reveal to each and every one of us what Thy will is for us, and that we would be able to obey it gladfully. For we ask it all in our Savior's name and for his glory. Amen. In our previous message on the book of Exodus, we were looking at Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 to 23, in which we saw Moses and Aaron returning to Egypt to confront Pharaoh about letting Israel go, so that they might hold the feast unto their God in the wilderness. Pharaoh, as expected, flatly refused and made perhaps the most defiant statement concerning their God as ever recorded in all of Scripture. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Exodus 5.2 Undaunted, Moses and Aaron continued to plead with Pharaoh, saying, the God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert, and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. It is at this point which the Pharaoh hardens his heart and accuses the Hebrews of being idle. He increases their burdens by making them now to gather the straw for themselves and yet still produce the same tally of bricks. The taskmasters, when given their orders, set out and tell the people of their new burdens (coughs) while beating them into submission when they protested. Later, when the officers of the Hebrews met with Pharaoh to plead their case, he reaffirms his stance and gives them no ease. The officers then meet with Moses and Aaron and squarely lay the blame for their increased misery directly upon the shoulders of Moses and Aaron. Discouraged and wounded in spirit, both Moses and Aaron then return to the Lord laying a charge before him in verses 22 to 23, Lord. Wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. As we begin the sixth chapter, we can readily see that it is a continuation of the discussion begun in chapter five. Although both Moses and Aaron at this point had been faithful in carrying out the Lord's instructions, not only to the Hebrew people, but also to the Pharaoh of Egypt, they had not done so with unmovable confidence in the Lord. Their trust in his ability to bring this to pass was hampered by all of the unexpected drawbacks and stumbling stones put in their path. And though sometimes we too may expect opposition to come our way when we are carrying out the Lord's instructions, we nonetheless are also surprised and often defeated by the ferocity or the ferocity of the backlash and attacks of the enemy or the severity of the circumstances. When suffering due to physical health is involved, our estimation of the magnitude of that suffering always falls short of the mark. And it is at that point that despair begins to take over, destroying any hope that one may have had. That is called coming to the end of our resources. It is precisely at that very point that the Lord is able to then burst through and work his marvelous grace. Though the circumstances may not change one iota and the end results may seem to have the same conclusion, the soul is nevertheless now able to perfectly experience the peace of God which passeth all understanding and keeps our hearts fully focused on or stayed upon God. It is then at that stage that one is able to cry out with Job, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Job 1315. And Moses and Aaron had not yet come to this point in their spiritual journey with their God. And so the Lord graciously answers them in verse 1 now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. God tells them, okay, Moses and Aaron, you have done your part. Now it is time for me to do mine. Pharaoh will not let Pharaoh will let my people go, but not before I force him to do so. Now I will have to use a strong hand the lord then further encourages them with the reminder in verses three to four i am the lord and i appeared unto abraham and unto isaac and unto jacob by the name of god almighty but by my name jehovah was i not known to them and i have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of canaan the land of their pilgrimage We're in there, we they were strangers. Don't worry, Moses. I've been around a long time. Remember, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I made a promise to them which I am going to keep. But they did not know me by my name Jehovah. They knew me only as God Almighty. Now, here's a bit of a challenge. What was God telling Moses? What did he mean by, but my name, Jehovah, was I not known? The word connotates the eternal one, the self-existent one. Surely the patriarchs would have known God as such. But what they did not know was him as Jehovah experientially. But what he was to them was their covenant God. He made a covenant with them. He promised Abraham that Abraham would be a father of many nations, that his seed would be innumerable, that he would have a land and so on. These promises were affirmed, reaffirmed to Isaac and to Jacob, but none of them Not Abraham, not Isaac, not Jacob, saw these promises yet fulfilled. But Moses would see and experience God as a God performing what he had promised. He would actually see his God in action. He would see God perfecting what he had begun and finishing his own work. He would see the redemptive work of Jehovah. And know him as such. The Israelites would know him as their Redeemer, Jehovah who saved them. Then the Lord also tells Moses that he has also seen and heard the groanings and the new sufferings of his people Israel, and he still remembers his covenant. And thus he tells Moses to return to his people and tell them, verses. 6 to 8, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will rid you of their bondage and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments and I will take you to me for a people and I will be to you a God and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you in onto the land concerning which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it you for an heritage. I am the Lord. Please notice, the Lord makes seven reaffirmations. God's number. I will bring you out. Number one. Number two, I will rid you of bondage. Number three, I will redeem you. Number four, I will take you as my people. Number five, I will be your God. Six, I will bring you onto a new land. And seven, I will give that land to you as a heritage. They will have the unprecedented opportunity to know this God experientially as he will perform all that he has promised before their very own eyes. And yet, as Moses relates to them God's exact words, the children of Israel, we read in verse 9, were in such anguish because of their cruel bondage that their spirit was not able to be encouraged at this time. We have between verses 9 and 10 a time lapse in which Moses again returns to the Lord with the discouraging news. But the Lord, knowing the end from the beginning, then sends him to Pharaoh to let his people go. Notice still in Moses' reply the discouragement in his voice and his disheartened spirit, verse 12. But Lord, behold, the children of Israel have not hearkened unto me. How then shall Pharaoh hear me, who am of uncircumcised lips? If my own people won't believe me, how in the world will Pharaoh listen to me And let Israel go. I who am of uncircumcised lips. If God's own people refuse to listen, how can the enemies of God possibly do otherwise? And so in his moment of weakness, Moses focuses on his own infirmities as he pleads, who am of uncircumcised lips. I am not gifted in debating, I have not the command of language and the skills of oratory needed. Again, human flesh takes over. But dearly beloved, remember, no amount of oratory skill or gift of tongue is able to convince the adversary who is incensed with anger and fueled by defiance. Only the power of God Almighty is able to crush the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Only the grace of God is able to lift the broken spirit and revive it again with new hope. And so Moses must come to realize sooner or later that no one and nothing can ever thwart the purposes of our sovereign God. And when he reaches that point, he will no longer see obstacles, only opportunities for God's glory to be manifested. Thus the Lord gives a charge both to the children of Israel and to the Pharaoh of Egypt to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Verse 13. No more excuses, Moses. And Aaron, no more debates. This is how it's going to be. There are no other possibilities, no other options. End of argument. Then in verses 14 to 27, we are suddenly presented with the genealogy of Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. It seems to just appear out of nowhere. However, upon closer examination, we begin to see that it was very strategically placed here and on purpose. First, Moses and Aaron are greatly despondent at this stage. They have suffered what was in their eyes a very public and humiliating defeat. The Pharaoh and the children of Israel no longer seem to be listening to him and to Aaron. And yet the Lord seemed to be insisting that they lead the people out. They both at this point were unable to see any possibility of any of this going right. Staring imminent failure in the face can be a very daunting experience, even for men of strong character. And so the Lord brings in the genealogy of Moses and Aaron at this point, to remind them that they were of a very great pedigree, that God had been with his ancestors right from the beginning, that they, Moses and Aaron, were just as much Israelites as the children of Israel whom they were about to lead out of Egypt. Family is a very powerful tie. They, Moses and Aaron, were bone of their bones and flesh of their flesh. And so the Lord recites the genealogy of Reuben, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, three very infamous fathers of tribes. Reuben, who was guilty of incest, and Simeon and Levi, who were murderers of the Shechemites back in Genesis 34. And yet... Because of God's promise and grace and his sovereign will, things have still progressed as planned. Moses and Aaron were both born in very troubling times and by God's grace protected and provided for and now given a purpose and a plan for their life, that of being God's vessels for the deliverance of the children of Israel and the giving of the law later to come. Now, we don't have the time to fully get into the genealogy presented here at this time, so I'll just draw our attention to one or two points. First, the granting of God's favors do not necessarily always go to the senior son, but rather because of divine sovereignty, often go to the younger. Moses upon whom God's favor fell, was the youngest son of Amran, who was the son of Kohath, who was the second son of Levi, who was the third son of Jacob, who was the second son of Isaac, and who was the second son of Abram, who was the youngest son of Terah. And yet, the only one in Scripture that faithfully fulfilled and received the birthright of the firstborn, was our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Also important, and should be noted here, is that the Lord concludes the genealogy in verses 26 to 27 with, These are that Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, Bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, According to their armies, these are they which spake to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring out the children of Israel from Egypt. These are that Moses and Aaron. Please notice the phrase, these are that Aaron and Moses, repeated twice in the two verses, 26 to 7. And the significance of that is this that they, Moses and Aaron, were to be one of a kind. Nowhere else in scripture do we ever find another one named Moses or Aaron. Both of these were very unique individuals and were a type of Christ. Aaron, as the high priest, was a type of Christ as our high priest, and Moses as the lawgiver was also a type of Christ. Their names would go down in history as the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. Now we come to the last three verses in the chapter, verses 28 to 30, where the Lord once more renews Moses' commission, telling him, I am the Lord. Speak thou unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say unto thee. But still, Moses seems reluctant and says a second time, Lord, behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? Does Moses not remind us of ourselves? Sometimes... No amount of reasoning is sufficient to change our attitudes. Action alone is needed to verify the word spoken. Nevertheless, we have come to the end of the chapter and consequently to the end of the message as well. And Lord willing, in the next few weeks, we will continue to look at the following chapters of this marvelous book of Exodus in our future sermons. And see the extreme makeovers of not only Moses and Aaron, but also of the Pharaoh of Egypt. But now, as always, before I step down from this platform, let me ask you this. Are you a genuine child of God this morning? Have you ever been born again by the Spirit of God upon believing the true gospel of salvation? The gospel which the Apostle Paul said that he was not ashamed of because it was the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth Romans 1 to 18 if so are you walking closely with our God and Savior trusting him and his grace to meet all your needs I remember hearing a wise old preacher a long time ago say that the only thing we can ever take to heaven with us is our children and our grandchildren. And so I have to ask you, are we living in such a way that we would be able to do so? That is, take them with us to heaven someday, or do we hinder them because of our lifestyle? Oh, I trust that everyone here is in the Lord and is earnestly seeking to honor him. But if perchance you are uncertain about your salvation or you have realized that you have not been living the way you ought, you've been living carelessly and just for yourself, won't you turn to him today and receive him into your heart and yield your soul to his keeping? He loves you. And he wants to save you, regardless of what you have done. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank thee for this story about Moses and Aaron, and how in the early stages, they too were frightened, they too were Suffering from lack of confidence in thy ability to do what thou hast promised. But Lord, as we read further on, we see as they watch thy marvelous handiwork and thy amazing miracles unfold before their very eyes, they have come to realize that the God they serve is able to do the impossible. And as a result, they were able to trust thee fully and be vessels of honor, obeying thee fully. Father, as we read thy word and as we rediscover that the important thing in our walk with thee is not what we can do, but what thou hast done. And what thou art able to do is the important thing. Help us, Lord, to continually grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Savior and to be able to reach out to those in our families, our neighborhoods, our places of work that are still lost and need a Savior. To not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth. Part us now with thy blessing, we pray, and keep us from sin. And if the Lord be not come, may it please thee to bring us together round his table next Lord's Day. For we ask it all in his name and for his glory. Amen. Não, <laughs>